This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hi, I'm Jeff Gibbard, the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist and real-life superhero. And this is my podcast, Shareable. Every week, I get the opportunity to speak with someone brilliant, including entrepreneurs, academics, authors, speakers, researchers, and more. Come along with me as we dig deeply into their unique story of success, including their highest of highs and often their lowest of lows. These episodes are powered by my curiosity about the critical role that relationships and technology play in shaping the course of our lives. These episodes aren't sales pitches. These episodes aren't the standard book tour. These episodes are just shareable. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to let you know about an amazing free resource that you should be taking advantage of. I ran my own agency for seven years, and I know that as a freelancer, entrepreneur, or small business, you want to feel confident that you have all of the skills you need to grow your business, lead your team, and close the sale. But I also know that sometimes, no matter how hard you try, it seems like you can't get ahead. You try to learn how to be a better leader only to find yourself winging it. You know that you have a unique story to tell, but your marketing materials aren't telling it. And the things you need to learn are spread out all over the place, so it can be challenging to know where to even start. And it's for all of these reasons that I created the Superhero Institute. The Superhero Institute is a personal and professional development platform with curated resources, lessons, and strategies to unlock unlimited growth potential and teach you specific superhuman abilities. Your free membership comes with access to the one-of-a-kind superhuman framework, along with a structured approach designed to give freelancers and small businesses the tools for professional growth. Lead your team, tell your story, and close that business. Commit yourself to continual growing, to consistently expanding your skills, and constantly deepening your understanding. It's time that you get more done than you ever have before, and before long, you'll realize that you're just getting started. Become the superhero you were meant to be. Join today for free at SuperheroInstitute.org. Hey, just a quick heads up on this episode. Uh, this is Tommy Griffith on this episode. It's a great episode. He goes all through his journey of uh, starting an SEO training company, and uh, he's a super smart guy. I interviewed him, man, it was a while back. I, I am sorry, Tommy. This took me a long-ass time to edit this episode, uh, but I interviewed him back in uh, – late 2019, uh, before I had officially launched the Superhero Institute, uh, I make reference to a 15,000-word social media strategy blog post that I said was forthcoming. It's actually out. So um, while the episode is old, all of the information is still totally relevant, totally current, and it is a worthwhile listen. I assure you this episode is shareable. Um, so give it a listen. I hope you like it, and I will be sure to put everything in the show notes that we talk about in this episode, and I, you should definitely go and check out Tommy's business. The guy is freaking smart and uh he'll showcase that in this episode enjoy so the story with me started when i applied at a bank in new york um after university or towards the end of my senior year the financial crisis had just started it was 2008 i applied at this bank and then like three days later they went bankrupt it was like a 160-year-old financial institution and they went bankrupt three days after I applied. And, and I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> what do I do now? 
Uh, I was studying finance at the University of Connecticut and I was about to graduate and the economy was collapsing and so I had no idea what to do. Um, I ended up starting my internet marketing journey by reading the four hour work week in a hammock. And <laughs> I'm not sure, Jeff, if you're familiar with this book, but uh, yeah, four hour work week by Tim Ferriss was kind of my catalyst for getting, for getting interested in internet marketing. I had this, uh, this kind of weird story in that book for our work week for anyone for the uninitiated for our work week is kind of the, this book that sort of started a lot of internet businesses, a lot of remote businesses. Uh, the, the premise of this book is probably a little out of date now, but the premise is pretty solid that you can build a business and travel and have a remote team and um, you, know, you can sell things from anywhere, that kind of stuff. And the premise of this book, uh, one of the things Tim Ferriss says is he says, you know, I highly recommend starting with an information product where you have a, a natural advantage, right? So if you create a physical product or you outsource the manufacturing of it, it's pretty easy to copy. But if you have a particular type of knowledge that not as many people have, it's harder to copy that. And I had this weird story in university where uh, a bunch of friends of mine and I started a fraternity. <laughs> it, was, it was exactly as obnoxious as you're imagining now, but we started this fraternity in university as kind of a joke. And by the time we graduated, there was like a hundred guys in it. And so it became an actual thing. So I'm reading for our work week in a hammock in New Hampshire in 2008. I was about to graduate university and I, uh, I'm thinking, okay, what's the one thing I know that no one else really knows? I guess I know how to start a fraternity. And I, I use the Google AdWords keyword planner and it turned out 1,500 people a month were searching for how to start a fraternity on Google. I uh, I ended up writing this extremely dorky ebook on how to start a fraternity, and I wrote it and tried to figure out okay how can I get this to the top of Google. Started to figure that out, and I started selling the book for ten dollars. Nobody bought it. I dropped the price to five dollars. Nobody bought it, and then I increased the price to forty seven dollars, and two hundred fifty people ended up. <laughs> <laughs> buying it. Um, so that got me really interested in internet marketing. I uh, had a long, windy road from there. And for the last 10 years, I've been doing SEO. I managed uh, search engine optimization at two of the biggest websites in the world, PayPal and Airbnb. And now I run a digital marketing training course called ClickMinded, which is my uh, started as a side project. And it's now my full-time job. Dude, I love your story so much. I, I told you before we jumped on that I read your blog post, which we're going to get into like that whole story. But um, just knowing you started a fraternity, it was funny when I was in college, uh, a couple friends and I, you know, we were kind of turned off by the traditional fraternity scene. So we were like, oh, we'll start our own fraternity. It'll be our own thing, our own rules, be more inclusive, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then I joined a regular fraternity. But um, <clears throat> I don't think we ran any Google searches at that time. Um, I don't know. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I came out of my MBA in 2008 and, um, at, you know, financial crisis, you know, perfect time for you obviously to get a job. So, uh, it's a really interesting story. So, okay. So you, you know, kind of the, the, the summation of it is that you've had an interesting ride to get here. You've done SEO for some pretty big companies, enormous companies. Uh, and now you're running your own information product business. So uh, talk me through a little bit of, you know, where you are right now so that we can kind of see the delta between where you started and where you are now. Yeah, sure. So uh, ClickMinded started as a 
in-person SEO training course in 2012. Um, shortly after that dorky ebook story, story, I started a business with a friend of mine um, right after university. We started a medical tourism facilitation company. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know standard standard thing that everyone does. Um, we know we that's for people that want to go elsewhere to get medical procedures done to take advantage of sort of the arbitrage of of costs of getting a procedure done in one country or another. Exactly right. Yep. And so I had, yeah, so in, after this four-hour work week uh, ebook story, I ended up becoming an English teacher uh, right in Japan. I was an English teacher in Japan and was Total still skiing. Fine. That's, that's awesome. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was um, for a study abroad um, when I was in college and it was like six of the best weeks of my entire life. And I actually went back to Japan for my honeymoon it's like one of my favorite places on earth. And that's kind of like my, you know how every entrepreneur has their like, well, if this doesn't work out, I could go be a barista. Like everybody's got like their like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll, and mine has always been like, I'll just move to Japan and teach English or move to Denmark and sell ice cream. There you go. I like both of those backup plans. Those sound pretty awesome to me. <laughs> and Japan's amazing. For sure. Yeah. Japan for me too was a total roll of the dice. It's so funny and you look back at your decision making and like, I cannot believe parents let their kids make any decisions before age 25. Like I was so dumb. I mean, I, I couldn't get a job. I wanted to teach English and on my list was like Brazil, France and uh, uh, Korea. And just like the Japan, the company in Japan emailed me back faster. That's literally why I went because they emailed me back faster. Like it ended up being great. I, I, I really did enjoy my time there. But my decision-making process was like so broken and dumb. It was, it was ridiculous. Well, I think the lesson there that all of our listeners can, can take from that is the early bird gets the worm. I think we can all agree. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, so the story, so I was in Japan teaching English. A friend of mine came to visit and we went to go backpack around Southeast Asia for a few weeks. We ended up accidentally in Taiwan um, just because of layovers and cheaper flights, something like that. We ended up spending a couple nights and we loved it. And we're scheming on a couple of different ideas. And one of us had seen a medical tourism news story that week. We started to look into it. And long story short, uh, we ended up creating a company. It was basically an internet marketing play designed to try and uh, capture people that were interested in medical tourism abroad. So it was 2008. It was kind of in the U.S. pre-Obamacare, um, healthcare reform, even though healthcare is still a mess in this country. But there's just a number of people that for certain surgeries, it made a lot of sense to go overseas. So um, we started this business and it went miserably, absolutely cratered everything. Um, I did every single possible thing I could have done wrong. I did wrong. <laughs> um, it was one of these situations. I, you know, I went to university and I was very blessed. My parents paid for everything. I graduated school uh, with no debt. I was very fortunate and I ended up putting myself into debt uh, trying to start this, this business. I borrowed money from family and friends, worked on it for a year and uh, and it went very, very poorly. Um, so that sort of, I had this moment where I kind of came back from that. I'd tra been traveling for a while, came back home, tail between my legs, like, hey, mom, hey, dad, <laughs> remember me? <laughs> uh, is there space on that couch kind of thing? Um, but I guess the one upside to all these bad decisions was I learned internet marketing. I learned SEO and, and paid advertising. And it was just kind of right place, right time. PayPal was hiring an SEO manager. And, you know, one month I was working on this business that wasn't working. I was spending, I was burning all my cash, came home absolutely miserable. And the next month I was 24 
and managing SEO at one of the one of the biggest websites in the world. Just kind of kind of crazy. That is pretty uh, nuts. Um, so I, I think one of the things that I really want to make sure that we cover, and I just want to like plant this as like a flag for like this is something I want us to accomplish in this episode, is that I know that ClickMinded is going well now, and I know that you've had successes and failures. And there's kind of two really key points that I see in your story that I think are interesting for listeners, and and hopefully everyone listening would agree with me on this. Is that so? The first is that you basically taught yourself how to do these things out of just pure curiosity on how to do it. And I, and I want to unpack like kind of what's your background in tech, because I think there's a prevailing notion that like people who build these online businesses are like digital whiz kids. Like you see the matrix, like you walk into a grocery store and there's like green code falling down over everything. <laughs> so I'll, I'll basically either confirm or dispel that myth. Uh, but the second thing is that I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people in my career that want to start online businesses and um, I'm curious about starting an online business and selling online courses. I'm in the process of developing a lot of things. And I know that there's some learnings that all of the people that I know that are successful in building online businesses all talk about some of the same failures that they made. And I'm, I really want to um, elaborate and, and dive into and make sure that we detail and document in this episode, what are some of those mistakes that you made? Because I think that's something that people listening can then walk away and say, okay, well, I just heard it from Tommy, who's now doing really well at ClickMinded. These are the three things I definitely shouldn't do. Here's the thing that you can easily avoid, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to make sure that we cover that stuff in this episode. Sure. So you want to dive deep on my misery and just open the wounds up again, huh, Jeff? Is that the, <laughs> is that the angle? I hope you're sitting on the couch because we're about to get real deep therapy style. Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. I want to talk about is I want to back up and I want to go back to the beginning of the story, right? So you're in college. You want to start the uh, how to how to start a fraternity uh, web page, the ebook. You you read the four hour work week and you're like, all right, I can figure this out, right? But let's go back further than that. Were you a techie kind of kid? Were you like an early adopter? Did you always have your face in a computer? Were you always coding things? Did you build a website when you were a kid? Like, talk to me about you as a technologist prior to ever getting involved in that? Like, what was your level of competency? Wow, this is cool. Uh, we really are going on the therapy couch here on this one, huh? This is <laughs> nice. And then tell me about your relationship with your father. Yeah, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I was, um, I was a nerd and am a nerd now, but I was a nerd in, um, uh, back in the day. Always loved the computer. And what, what's really interesting was... Um, I really loved computer games as a, as a kid. And I think what I've sort of realized this now is search engine optimization ended up just becoming the natural extension of me playing computer games. Like I like to play uh, strategy games or different things like that in uh, middle school and high school. And it ended up translating into, yeah, like when you watch rankings go up or traffic go up, it feels like, like a dorky online game for me. Um, but I also got really motivated to buy... Uh, publishing stuff that other people interact with, like uh, pushing something out into the universe and, you know, f f uh, other people finding it was, was really cool for me. I was really into um, uh, WWF back, <laughs> back in the day. I think it's WWE now, right? Yeah, I was going to say like World Wildlife Federation. This is taking yeah. a left turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, professional wrestling, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, all these guys. And uh, a, a bunch of my dorky friends and I uh, created a backyard wrestling, trampoline wrestling thing when I was like 10 or 12. And I ended up um, creating a website for my, <laughs> for my backyard wrestling league in maybe eighth grade. 
Uh, can you believe I, I didn't have a girlfriend? I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't believe I, it. I, for one, am shocked and uh, I'm sure our listeners right now are. The, the just- babes, babes love, babes love uh, websites, guys who can make websites for their backyard wrestling league, right? That's, that's, that's what women look for, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I ended up making this website for myself and then this is actually a really funny story. My dad still tells this one like at Thanksgiving and stuff like that. I created a, a, a website for our wrestling league and I don't know, I think it was on AOL in a chat room or a forum or something like that. And I ended up meeting someone and they said, um, I want a wrestling website for my wrestling <laughs> federation too. Can you make me one? And I said, sure, I'll make you one for $10. And I ended up making this random stranger their website and they physically mailed me a $10 bill. I, I, uh, I, re- I created the website. I put a password on it and I said, here's the website. I'll give you the password when you email, when you mail me the money. And my dad got this letter one day with just a $10 bill in it. And he said, Tommy, what is this? It's addressed to you. And I was like, oh, that's the guy. He finally paid me. Okay, I got to give him the password now. <laughs> and that was like, yeah, I was probably 13. And uh, I don't even know if PayPal existed at the time, but I definitely didn't have a bank account. And that was kind of the first, uh, that was the first sort of turn into, <laughs> into making websites. Please tell me that you told that story at your PayPal interview. You're like, the reason I was inspired to work. <laughs> that would have been funny. 13. Like, that would have been such a good story, man. They would have hired you right on the spot. I mean, they did that, hire you, but that would have given you the faster path in. For sure. I did not think of that. That would have been a good idea. Yeah. 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 All right. So, so you were a techie kind of kid. You were a little bit nerdy. You definitely played with stuff. You, you saw it kind of as a, you know, a game to a certain extent when you started to get involved in SEO. Got it. Um, when you started in the whole SEO paid search, any of, any of the things that you were trying to do to create these online businesses, um, w- did that start prior to your whole, um, uh, the ebook about, um, starting a fraternity that did, did your understanding or knowledge or research into, uh, paid search and SEO, did that start before that? No, it didn't. Um, I had done things that I now would look back and say that is internet marketing or tried different ideas. I was always kind of entrepreneurial driven, uh, but I didn't really know what internet marketing was. I still liked creating sites. Um, I still like creating things on the internet, but I wasn't doing any of that. But yeah, like either things like when, um, when we were, when we were starting the fraternity, I would do a lot of, um, messaging and spamming of people on Facebook. Facebook had just started um, when I was in university. And so I would message a bunch of people to come to our parties or I tried, uh, tried creating, um, I tried importing some products from China and selling them through Facebook ads, like within the first six or so months of Facebook, even launching ads as a, as a product. So I didn't know any of that was internet marketing, but I was just like bored and bored with class and wasn't very good at school, but was like kind of trying my own things and mostly ADD. It was mostly ADD driven. I was either doing internet things or like drinking. Right. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, but but the actual like, oh my God, what is SEO uh, sort of thing didn't happen until I had I was probably one or two months um, having graduated university. That's kind of when it started. All right, got it. So we we've talked at this point about a lot of the different things that you did that were really cool. Where you were like, you know, you were involved in things that were internet marketing related before you knew what they were. You kind of backwards stumbled into some success. Some success. This guy sent you a ten dollar bill. It's all awesome. All right, now let's pick at your wounds. So you decide to try and start these online businesses. So let, let's pick back up at the point where you're starting this medical tourism business. And let's go through to when you uh, finally found success at ClickMinded. And what I particularly want to focus on is 
at what points did you totally screw up now in retrospect that you would go back and you would never do those things again? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think the biggest thing around the, uh, around the first business was, I mean, you know, when you're 22 and giving it your first shot, of course, like there's going to be stumbles, but, um, the biggest thing I think was my own personal interests in the idea or the, the product and also, uh, stacking up any unfair advantages that I could have had. So there's this, there's this term I actually wrote, I wrote about it in the post you'd mentioned earlier called exit velocity, right? Uh, this guy, Dan Andrews, he runs this cool podcast called tropical MBA. He coined this term and he says, uh, I'm just pulling it up now. He says, exit velocity is the amount of professional and entrepreneurial momentum you have when quitting your job and starting a new venture. Momentum can come from a variety of sources, investment, capital, experience, anchor clients, industry knowledge, and connections, aka unfair advantage. So it's interesting because, you know, the first attempt, I had no exit velocity. I graduated university and then I went to go do a medical tourism business. I had no interest in it. I had no connections in it. I had no education in it. Right? I had no, un- no, no capital. Um, I had no unfair advantages. And surprise, surprise, it failed miserably, right? But with ClickMinded, which, by the way, was probably idea number 15. I mean, it was not very natural. I tried a lot of other things before. With ClickMinded, I was managing SEO at two of the biggest websites in the world. And then on the side, I was teaching search engine optimization to startups. I was then taking that product and using it at work. So my colleagues at PayPal and Airbnb were, were, were using it and I was improving it that way. I was leveraging the branding of those companies for it and continuing to work on it um, while, I was, while I was there, right? So uh, by the time I left, I spent four years at Airbnb and by the time I left, the business had, was generating more than my salary. I had the brand credibility from it. I was using it every day at work to make it better. I kind of stacked all of these unfair advantages in my corner, right? And even though I really stumbled out of the gates, like when I first went to go full-time in the business, I had had so many, uh, the deck was so stacked in my favor that it was kind of inevitable that, that it had to work. So I think one thing to think about in terms of like what I wouldn't do or would do is think about, you know, for anyone listening now, think about what you're doing every day that your employer is, is paying you for and where do you have unfair advantages. People that don't exploit their unfair advantages, they're not desperate enough. And I, I only know this because I, I know how horrible it is to be miserable and in a bunch of debt that you create for yourself. And, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're being cheap, you're using this, you're using that. It's like, dude, you are not desperate enough to make this work. Uh, you have to take every single thing you can get. And so that is the one thing I would think about um, in terms of what I would or wouldn't do is find your unfair advantages and relentlessly hammer those because, you know, startups are hard. Most startups fail. Most businesses die. Um, in, all, in all likelihood, whatever you're thinking about is not going to work. And so you need to stack the deck in your favor as, as much as you can. I think that's great advice, which I kind of want to uh, ask you about that from a, a different perspective. It's a, the, the question comes down to, are great ideas enough? Because you're talking about having the velocity and being able to have your unfair advantages and in some ways, even like if you have a job and you can do this on the side, like that gives you a little bit more momentum and a little less fear and, and desperation out of it. So that's kind of like a, a good thing working in your favor. 
But a lot of people kind of just go into the online course thing thinking, well, I've got a great idea. So in your experience, I mean, you've, you've done, you said it's your 15th different thing, not counting out, not holding you to a number, but like, you know, you tried a bunch of stuff. A lot of things failed. Some things worked. I mean, how many of those did you look at and you were like, or, or looking back on them, could you say that is actually a really great idea? I just didn't know what the hell I was doing or I wasn't passionate about it or whatever. Like are great ideas enough or is there some other secret sauce there? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. And, and you're totally right about that. And for me, it was the, the passion. So there's one example. Um, you know, I had, I was working PayPal. I was trying to pay off this debt. I was miserable and I was trying a bunch of different things. I had this idea for an iPhone app development lead generation site. And so the, the basic idea was it was 2011. I was in San Francisco iOS development had really taken off, right? Um, everyone who wanted, like a lot of people wanted to become iOS developers and develop iPhone apps. Everyone was learning Xcode. Companies that didn't already have an iOS app, they wanted one. Um, they were like, they thought they were lame if they, if they didn't have one. And, um, and so the basic idea was like, okay, I'm going to create this site that, you know, it's ranking, you know, that ranks well for terms like, iPhone app development companies and iPhone app developers and iPhone app development costs and, and these kinds of things, right? And the idea was like, get that ranking, collect the leads, and then maybe sell the leads, right? Sell the leads to, to iPhone app development companies and things like that. And I started working on it. I designed the site. I got it up and live and ranking and it started to generate traffic and I started to generate leads and it all kind of started to work. And then every Saturday morning when I went to go work on it, I just hated it. Like I, I just, I had no interest in it. Um, I wasn't passionate about it. It was all working, but, but like, I, I just hated it. And um, there's this, tr this trope going around Silicon Valley now around markets. I think Mark Andreessen or, or some venture capitalist guy has talked about this. He says the, 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 the cliche now is like, I'd rather have a, a mediocre product and a mediocre team in a great market than a great team in a great product in a mediocre market. And there's all this kind of movement around like, okay, pick, pick better markets. And while I get that from like a venture capitalist or whatever perspective, I actually really disagree with it from like a lifestyle business, uh, side project, kind of small business perspective. Because whenever you set up your milestones, whatever they are, maybe it's your first $1,000 or your first $10,000, $100,000, first 100 users, whatever your milestone is, you are the engine that's got to drag this thing across the finish line. You are the single biggest investment in this thing, right? Your own personal interest in, it, in this is an asset, right? It is a massive asset. It's, in fact, it's probably your only asset, right? And so um, a lot of people do this. They, like, they come to what you just said earlier, Jeff. Like they, come to the, they go to the Excel doc and they're like, is this a great idea, right? What's the search volume? What's the revenue opportunity? All this kind of stuff. But deep down, they hate it. And uh, unfortunately, the, the world has become so extreme now that there's just no room to be mediocre anymore. Um, Naval Ravikant is this like amazing tech investor guy who's become like a tech Buddha. His Twitter account is amazing. But he had this saying recently where he says like, what feels like work for other people should feel like play to you. And as long, on a long enough time horizon, you can't really lose if you're working 8, 12, 16 hours a day and it's play for you and work for the other person. So even though the initial idea, right, like this iPhone app development idea was like, looked like it could have made money, but I just couldn't get out of bed in the morning and work on it. So I ended up killing it. And um, 
you know, teaching SEO was just something I loved. I was a nerdy kid who loved video games. SEO was very natural to me. And I also loved teaching. I taught at a graduate school in San Francisco. And this like combination of teaching SEO on Saturdays, it sounds like hell to a lot of people, but, but it was awesome for me. I really loved it. And then surprise, surprise, it ended up working. So do you still, so right now you have the passion for teaching SEO to people. Do you have a passion for SEO? Is it like, is that, is that part of it? Or is it like, you're kind of indifferent SEO, like it's a tool, you like it, whatever, but you love the teaching aspect of it. Like, I, I guess the question is, does the, does the teaching fire in you extend outside of SEO? Or is it that you really enjoy that part because there's an element of SEO that's so competitive and game-like for you? Yeah, so... I mean, so this was eight years ago, right? The business has, has transformed a lot. I've, I've gotten a lot of new interests since then. I still love, love search engine optimization. I mean, I was playing with crawl path optimization 20 minutes before we, <laughs> we got onto this call. Um, but I've gotten interested in a lot of other things too. I love email marketing now, right? Um, I love uh, a bunch of dorky things we can do with, with analytics now um, that we're working on on our company dashboard. So I do love like a lot of nerdy internet marketing things. But yeah, I just, I also love to, to teach and public speaking and that kind of stuff as well. So it's just this weird triangulation of, of both of those things that ended up working out. I tried other, um, other online courses as well in the past on different subjects. And yeah, like uh, teaching digital marketing has just become this weird triangulation of all the things that I love. And, um, and so it's all sort of ended up working. It's not just one particular thing. It's, it's, it's everything. Got it. That's awesome, man. Who, uh, just curious, um, before we, we pivot and talk about anything else, um, who, where do you go now for, once you get to a certain level, I, I have over 10 years of experience in social media and I found that it's become very difficult to, to go anywhere and find anything that really shocks me or amazes me or insane. But I feel like search engine optimization is a kind of a different space um, where it's always changing. It's always updating. There's, there's a real value in keeping current with it where I feel like social is very much like oftentimes it's, it's, Hey, make great relationships and that'll work well for you. Or, Hey, here's how to optimize your Facebook ads, but you know, getting better distribution in the organic news feeds, like who cares? So there's, there's kind of a, a bigger value in keeping current with SEO, but where do you go for inspiration, uh, information to stay current, to stay ahead of the curve? Uh, are you teaching yourself and just trying things out and seeing what happens? Or are you looking to certain people in the industry that you have an immense amount of respect for? Yes, it's a combination. I mean, we try and keep our users up to date. That's part of our value proposition as well. But um, yeah, some of the people I love, uh, Glenn Alsop, he's amazing. Uh, Viper Chill is his online handle. Um, Detail.com is his website. He's really, really good. He writes really comprehensive case studies. Um, Nat Eliason from uh, Your Growth Machine. He's another SEO guy, a great guy to follow, a practitioner and running an agency. Um, he's been great. And then Brian Dean from Backlinko as well. He's a friend of mine. Um, and, uh, he's been great on, on the SEO side as well. So yeah, there's definitely, um, definitely some people that pushing out a lot of great content on, on, on changes, uh, that I like to follow. Got it. Cool. I, so Backlinkio, uh, or backlink.io, um, their post on link building is an inspiration for a social media post I'm about to release. It's going to be like a 15,000 word post with filters where you can, um, you can uh, sort by goals, timeline, budget, and resources needed. Uh, and it basically lists out every social media tactic along with the primary social media strategies. 
Um, and it was inspired by, there's a, a post on backlink.io that is just an epic link building post and it ranks like, I think if you just type like link building, like on, uh, on Google, I think that's like the first post that comes up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. Right on. All right. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, I want to come back to click mine and I want to look at it from kind of an outsider perspective now. So you've got this business, it's evolved. You had its, you know, you had the ups, you had the downs, you went through a bunch of different ideas to kind of get to this. So, okay, so now you're here, right? Well, I want to treat you like the Oracle, right? You can be the wise man on top of the hill and, and disseminate down onto us, uh, those lowly non online business owners <laughs> who are going to be starting click minded today. Let's pretend it doesn't exist. It's complete. It does not exist at all. You're going to build the exact same business what would the steps that you would take today now, knowing what you know, walk us through the process of how you would build an online business today if you didn't have the business that you currently have, but wanted to build it? Interesting. So uh, I think the one big advantage is that creating, especially if you're in the online course space, creating an online course now is so much easier than it was in 2012. I mean, we really are in this like online learning renaissance now. There's so many different ways to do it. The uh, number of different SaaS applications that make it really like Kajabi or uh... yeah, we're on Teachable. We love Teachable. Um, Teachable's been really good. There, uh, the features of the other ones are all starting to get fairly, um, fairly similar. Um, I recommend checking the demo account of each and then trying them out. But we're on Teachable and and we love it so far. So um, it's been great. Okay. Um, but in the past, it was not that easy. I mean, I tried every single WordPress learning management system you can imagine, you know, encoded my own video. Wistia wasn't even that good at the time, uploading stuff. Um, anytime one developer would update one plugin, everything would break, right? There's just so many moving parts um, back in 2012. And so it was very, very difficult to get going. Now, um, I mean, you can just film stuff uh, on your laptop and, and have a course up in an afternoon, right? You can get it going really fast. Um, but the one thing I did in the past that I accidentally did correctly <laughs> was, um, and I don't like, I actually would do this the exact same way, which is one of the, I, I did not do this at the time because I was smart. It was a complete accident. But the way I the way I did the first version of the course ended up being really good. I um, started offline because online courses weren't intuitive at the, at the time, and it wasn't uh, sort of a natural thing. But I got my first few users through Meetup, and I still think that Meetup.com is the single most underrated channel for a new idea. Um, when you're especially for bootstrapping an email list. And, and very few people do this. So meetup.com, even today, I think it's $15 a month to set up a new meetup group. And when you set one up, meetup will immediately email everyone in your city based on the categories you select during the account creation process. So in 2011 or early 2012, maybe, I created the San Francisco SEO meetup, right? It was $15. I set it up. And within three days, uh, I had 100 people in it, right? So meetup emails everyone in the San Francisco Bay Area interested in digital marketing or SEO. There were no SEO meetups at the time. And, uh, and I suddenly had an email list of 100 people. I held one happy hour, right? Didn't even pay any money. Just picked a bar on a Thursday night and said, hey, can you accommodate like 30 people? Um, and had everyone meet at this happy hour. Everyone showed up. And I think maybe I held one more happy hour and the meetup grew to like 150 something people. And then when I was ready to do the first version of my course, I had 150 people interested in SEO. 
if you're taking this advice to heart or you're writing this down, one thing I highly recommend, this seems like a small thing, but it's really important. When you throw your first event, the flake rate, the no-show rate on Meetup is really high. It's, it's free to join most events and then most people bail, yeah. right? So I highly recommend doing what I did, which is put a price tag on it and then you give away free tickets for it with a promo code. So, so instead of saying, hey, I'm doing a free SEO training course, what I did was say, hey, I'm doing this SEO training course. It's $500 but it's free for the first 20 people to email me and I'll give you a promo code. And that'll move your attendance rate from about 30% up to 70%. Yep. And so from there, I ended up teaching offline. And um, Did you it's get really- people from that to actually pay the $500? Like uh, to, you know, they had the first 20 and then would you get like two or three other people? Or did you get like another 20 that actually paid for it? Because that would make it worth it in and of itself. Yeah. So the meetup group was entirely free. I never charged anyone in the meetup group, but they were the guinea pigs. They saw easily the worst version of the product. They saw uh, like all the early stuff. Uh, they were the ones I tested everything on. And then once I felt pretty confident about it, I started charging and, and was charging $500 um, for, uh, per day per user. Got it. Um, and so those were, and a lot of those were, um, it was companies paying to send their marketers and, and things like that to, uh, to, to the course or a few entrepreneurs as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking, <clears throat> excuse me, looking back, I wouldn't have changed that. And, and the reason why it was pretty interesting. And again, I did not have the foresight for this. I just uh, did it by accident. I realized that, you know, when I looked at the first version of the online course launched on Udemy, which is an online course marketplace. And um, a number of my competitors, you know, they were, these guys in their basement talking into their laptops, talking over their slides and taking you through Google or uh, through an Excel sheet about, you know, search engine optimization. And it's really when you're, when your V1 of an online course goes out, you can't get, it's tough because you can't get feedback on it until you get that one star review, right? <laughs> like that's when you get the feedback. And so what I found that I accidentally did right was when I started offline you get that feedback immediately, right? You're sitting there with your customers in a room, you're teaching something and you see it on their face. Oh, that didn't work. Or, oh, that worked really well. Or, oh, that joke didn't land. Or, oh, they need more of this, right? And so by teaching offline, not only was I really embedded with my customer avatars and like what their problems were, but um, the, the, the product iterated so fast that the time, by the time I finally put it online, I was at like, you know, I had done it 15 times, 10 or 15 times. And so that's like fifth generation kind of product at that point. And so by the time I launched it online, yeah, it was way better than anything else because uh, my feedback loop was, was really, really fast. So really long answer to your question. Sorry, Jeff, but the looking back, that's one of the things I accidentally did correct. And I would still do that again today. It's really funny Internet marketers hate leaving their basement, right? Like they would much rather send 10,000 emails than get on the phone or, uh, or get out into the real world. And so when I got out into the real world, when I actually sat face to face with my customers, I was just doing it through happy hours and I just kind of enjoyed doing it. But I ended up um, having this natural moat where people weren't physically teaching in person. They weren't getting feedback loops fast enough and it ended up being a big advantage for me. So it doesn't scale at all. It sounds really gruesome and time consuming and annoying. And it is, it 100% is. But if I was starting again today, I would 100% start offline, fix the product offline and then bring it online. That is such great advice. Um, I actually, so much in that. I mean, one of the reasons why I kind of have 
been stepping away from online marketing and digital marketing as as just the sole thing that I'm doing is that I'd love actually getting together with people and having those aha moments in person, online, you know, in-person consulting, social events, things like that. So um, yeah, so much there for that. The other thing is that um, I actually just, um, I, after I left my agency, I brought the meetup group that I had started there with me, changed the name, and I'm, you know, in the midst of planning events and things like that. And I feel like that's such an inspirational way to put it uh, and, and the different learnings and things you've gotten out of it. I mean, it's, it's definitely inspiring me to, to rethink what I'm doing with my meetup. Um, talk to me a little bit about your funnel. Uh, and I want to kind of wrap up on that point because, um, you know, there's a lot of talk right now. I mean, everybody's like, should I use lead pages? Should I use fast pages? Should I use click funnels? Uh, you know, should I use the Kajabi built-in thing? Should I try and build it in MailChimp and use their, like, I'm curious, are there some tools that you really like, some that you don't? And kind of what are you finding the most success with right now at getting people into your universe purely online? Are you using webinars? Are you just using email drip sequences? You talked a lot about it in your blog post, but I'm curious the update for now. Yeah, sure. So um, our biggest traffic source is SEO, um, right? And uh, SEO from, from Google and uh, we're trying some stuff with YouTube now as well, which has been nice. But we've really pivoted to becoming more of an email marketing and webinar company, um, more, more of that. And so uh, the vast majority, and yeah, we laid this out in the blog post that, that you mentioned, um, but the basic idea is we have a bunch of content that's out there and ranking and generating traffic. We grab email addresses as aggressively as we can, and we sort of give users lots of uh, content leading up to sort of um, middle funnel offers, right? So a bunch of different, we have three different customer avatars to take, taking a step back with entrepreneurs, in-house marketers, and consultants or agencies. And then we have seven different topics, right? Seven different courses that people are interested in. So SEO, paid advertising, content marketing, email marketing, social media marketing, sales funnels, and Google analytics. And then uh, we have different instructors that teach all of these, right? So our model is we try and find world-class instructors that do this stuff every day. Our social media course is taught by the former head of social media at Airbnb. The content marketing course is taught by the former content strategist from Lyft. And the basic idea is once we know who the customer avatar is, right, uh, and we know the topic that they're in, we have them in a funnel where we're just delivering a ton of different content, templates, checklists, cheat sheets, free stuff, and we're trying to push them to a middle funnel sort of thing, which is either a mini course or a webinar. So our courses are, we have 35 hours of content across everything, but we have mini courses for each topic. And, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. We, um, it's about a 30 minute mini course on each topic. And when people get familiar with the product, they see the instructor, they see what our style is. We try and go for dorky, fun, and technical. Uh, and when they see that and they like it, and they complete the mini course, they're significantly more likely to enroll. Um, one of the things we've done that is not our idea at all, but it's been really useful is we actually rescind access for the mini courses. So you're right, we have a bunch of contents ranking, we grab email addresses and we say, hey, by the way, you can try this free mini course if you want. And what we do is we say, okay, you're now enrolled in the mini course. Uh, you have seven days to complete it. If you complete it, you know, we update them all the time. And if you complete it, you'll have lifetime access to it. So we have templates and checklists and cheat sheets in there. And you'll have lifetime access to this forever, even when we update them, if you complete it within seven days. If you don't complete it within seven days, we remove access and you can't ever come back. <laughs> and it's brutal. It's hard. Um, but, but that's what we do. And it's 30 minutes. So it's 30 minutes over seven days. 
And the basic premise is like, are you serious about this or not? Like, do you actually want to do this? And if they complete it in, uh, within seven days, they retain lifetime access to the mini course. And then we give them an offer to enroll at a discount. And so the vast, you know, this increases our completion rate significantly. It increases our sales significantly. Um, they get the course at a discount. They know what they're buying before they buy it. Everyone's kind of happy. But it all started with forcing the user to make it a priority. And so that's been kind of one part of our funnel that we've seen, uh, uh, we've gotten a ton of benefit out of. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. I actually lied. I want to ask you one more question. Now. <laughs> I want to ask you the, the final question because I thought about it as you were talking. Um, you were saying how your first product, you tried selling it for 10 bucks and then you dropped it to five bucks. Nobody bought either time. And then you jumped it up to like 40 some odd dollars and 250 people bought. How do you recommend going about pricing your online product these days? And you had mentioned Udemy a little bit earlier. I find Udemy to be sort of like the, the Walmart of online courses in the sense that it's driving all of the prices everywhere else down. What's your suggestion right now for serious people who want to create serious courseware and they want to charge, you know, either top of the market or, or at least enough to make it worth their time. What's your approach to understanding what your pricing should be and, um, you know, what, any advice you have there? It's a great question. This is the bajillion trillion dollar question. I am, I'm fascinated by pricing and kind of behavioral economics. Um, I don't understand it. It's fascinating to me. Um, I've never really quite figured out pricing the first three years of the business, every time I moved the price up, sales went up. And so uh, I was like, it was very obvious to me that I was charging too little at the beginning. Um, so I have, uh, yeah, a lot of strong thoughts on this. The first is Udemy, unfortunately, is no longer a place to get started. Udemy, I, Udemy and I actually had a very public falling out, <laughs> falling out about this. Um, I wrote a, a, a blog post. You know, I was featured on their homepage for a long time. I was, I was friends with them. I went in their office, helped them with some, some stuff. They promoted me. Um, but I wrote a blog post once. They, they changed the rules a lot for instructors. And I wrote a blog post titled, you know, my revenue increased 300% after leaving Udemy. And, uh, and it's increased significantly since then, obviously. But yeah, it's just no longer a place to, to, to run a serious business. Uh, you just can't do it. They um, change the pricing caps too much. They don't allow you email access to your users. In the past, you could have actually justified starting there and then migrating off, but I actually don't even recommend that now because they really are. They're damaging the online learning ecosystem. Every single thing is $10 every single time you go. Um, and so there's a lot of damage uh, happening there that we can't really stop. They, they have their own business metrics and they have to do them and I totally get that but it doesn't mean I'm not going to sit here and not complain as an instructor. They could have been, they could have really been so much more. Um, so I don't recommend starting there in terms of pricing. You know, it's really interesting because when you're creating an info product, I hear this, like this kind of trope all the time, like info products are dead, right? Why would you ever pay for this kind of stuff? And to a degree you, you can probably get whatever you think your special uh, knowledge is. It's probably not that special. Right. And so like for us, it's a really funny example. All of the content we have on ClickMinded, you absolutely do not need to sign up for ClickMinded. You absolutely can learn this stuff on your own. You could go free YouTube videos to $10 Udemy courses, to us, um, to you know, $1,000 courses, to $100,000 master's degrees. I mean, the price range is wild. Um, the way we do it is we say, look, you don't need this, uh, but I've been doing this for 10 years. And here are these other experts that are doing this. We include unlimited lifetime access and free updates for life. So like when you enroll once, you get um, updates forever. 
and uh, this is our style. This is how we like to do it. Sign up here if you want, and if not, that's fine too. And what we basically angle it on is speed. So we have a ton of free content, checklists, templates, cheat sheets, blog posts, mini courses, webinars, and it's all free. And you can check all that out, but the way we kind of position it is, look, if you want the results faster, or if you want to train up an entire team, here's the paid product. And so really we're not selling digital marketing, we're selling speed. We're saying you're always going to get this updated, you're going to get it updated in this style. Uh, if you can't afford it and you want to go the free YouTube video route, that's fine. But if you want to buy the speed, here it is. And for us, that's worked. We ended up selling the speed and not the actual product. I dig it. That's a great way of positioning it. I love it. Well, listen, man, you've been just freaking amazing and tons of knowledge dropping on us. So this is the part in the show where I turn it over to you and let you talk about anything that you're working on that you want to promote, that you want to tell people about, tell them where they can go be social with you, learn more and you know, send you emails or poke you on Facebook, whatever you want. Let people know. Poke me on Facebook. I'd love to bring that one back. Is that still around? Can we still do pokes? <laughs> I feel like they took it away. Uh, yeah, I think so. I was an infamous poker back in the day. Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, we're at clickminded.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Tommy Griffith. And we actually just released these free 8-bit uh, retro-looking digital marketing and SEO strategy guides. So if you ever played like Nintendo or Super Nintendo in the 90s, we created these free strategy guides that are designed with this like 8-bit style. So uh, you can check them out at clickminded.com if you want to see that. That is super rad. And I promise you that it'll all go in the show notes. You have my word on that. Sweet. Sounds good. Cool, man. Well, I um, really appreciate you. You know, you reached out and we connected and we got to chatting a little bit and shared all your stuff with me. And I was like, dude, you got to be on this show. And you came here and you dropped the knowledge bombs and it was really, really cool. So I appreciate you, man. And uh, I'm sure all of our listeners appreciate you as well. Um, so I guess if I had to say anything about this episode, call it anything, you know, sum it up in one word, I guess I would say it's shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing, shareable.fm, where this podcast is hosted. Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcast, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look, and if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show, or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it, and this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you, and I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now. <laughs>